Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Our number, 877 I hope you had a good weekend. Listen, I want to underscore, if you have early voting in your state and you can vote in person like we have in Virginia, and they have in Florida and other places, then please do it. In-person voting. It's like in-person voting on Election Day. So if you have early in-person voting in your state, please do it. Uh, I'm sure the lines on Election Day will be significantly uh, longer than than typical, but be prepared to wait four, five, six hours or maybe 30 minutes. I don't know. But under no circumstances, skip voting. But it's important that you get five or ten people to vote with you or we're going to lose. We're going to lose if we don't get more people to vote. We have to overcome not only the normal situation, but we have to overcome likely fraud, Okay. So, you're the uh, Thomas Paines. You're not summer soldiers. And you're the Paul Revere's. You're warning people. And uh, we really need to be activists. Real activists. Okay? And I'm going to keep talking about this. So, Amy Coney Barrett's going to be confirmed tonight without a single Democrat vote. Which is grotesque. And Susan Collins will be voting against her, too. She says on principle, that's not principle. Susan Collins is uh, playing to the left in the state of Maine because she's behind. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, for a vote like this with not a single Democrat, the Democrats have not created another precedent as they seek to burn down the Supreme Court. And I want to tell my originalist constitutionalist friends, some of whom are in the media, I have long argued for term limits for Supreme Court justices. I am glad the left is beginning to talk about this, 
What we have to be careful about is the circumstances under which they want to do it. Because they never do anything because it's right. They do things because they're looking for an edge. They're trying to grab power. But I support term limits for Supreme Court justices. As a matter of fact, I wrote about it in my first book, Men in Black, way back, 15, 16 years ago. And I still believe in it. You can't grandfather it in and do it retroactively, but I'm talking about going forward. The process needs to be figured out and worked out. That's my opinion. It's always been my opinion. Now they're talking about, and they keep saying, this is the first time in American history that an a individual will have been confirmed as a justice this close to an election. This is how the media work. This is how the Democrats work. The Democrats have been saying it, so the media burp it back to you. They burp it up. Well, why don't we take a look at some of the history of Supreme Court justices and their confirmations? Because for most of our history, Supreme Court justices were confirmed without hearings. It's only since the court has become highly political due to the left that they view it as their own plaything that we've had these issues. Starting at the very beginning, the first Chief Justice of the United States, John Jay, you may have heard of John Jay, one of the authors, minor author of the Federalist Papers, but more than that, he was nominated on September 24, 1789, and confirmed on September 26, two days. John Rutledge, among the first crop of Associate Justices, same thing, confirmed in two days, no hearings. William Cushing, who was, uh, who was uh, nominated by Washington on September 24th, confirmed on September 26th, sworn in on February 7th. That specific document I owned, and I donated it to the uh, Heritage Foundation. Excuse me, geez, to Hillsdale College, sorry. Two days, two days, two days, two days. All the original justices on the Supreme Court, two days. Thomas Jefferson nominated Rutledge. Seven days. Seven days. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Washington nominated Thomas Johnson. Another Washington nominee, one day. Another Washington nominee, zero days. He was confirmed the same day he was nominated. And there's several of those. Now, John Adams. His first nominee was nominated on December 19th and confirmed on December 20th, 1798. His next nominee is nominated on December 4th, confirmed December 10th. And you can go through this. And let's come closer to modern times, all right? But I'm just giving you an example. It's not to say some didn't take a while who were controversial and so forth, but nothing like some of the dates and times it takes today. I am moving through, let's, let's try this. Let's go to Franklin Roosevelt. Hugo Black, who'd been a lawyer for the Klan, five days, he was confirmed in five days. Stanley Foreman Reed, Stanley Reed, Justice Reed, he was confirmed in 10 days. These are Franklin Roosevelt nominees. Phyllis Frankfurter, 
He was confirmed in 12 days. William O. Douglas, and these are without hearings, confirmed in 15 days. Frank Murphy, confirmed in 14 days. Harlan Stone, confirmed in 15 days, without hearings. James F. Burns, who was a close confidant of Roosevelt's, he was confirmed in zero days. The same day he was nominated, he was confirmed. Now, that's... 1941. Let's take a look at Truman. His first nomination, Harold Burton, is confirmed the same day. Nominated him September 19th. He was confirmed on September 19th. Fred Vinson, Justice Vinson, 14 days. Justice Clark, some of these names might be familiar to you scholars out there, 16 days. Justice Minton, 19 days. Then we get to Republicans. Eisenhower, his first nominee was Earl Warren. 49 days. He nominated John Marshall Harlan II. 65 days. William Brennan, yuck. 64 days. Potter Stewart was nominated by Eisenhower, 108 days. So you see what happened here. After Truman, they kind of stuck at the Eisenhower. Then John Kennedy, Byron White, eight days. Lyndon Johnson. Um, Excuse me, uh, John Kennedy again. I'm looking at a long list here. Arthur Goldberg, 25 days. Lyndon Johnson. He nominates Abe Fortas, 14 days. And Fortas would later have to resign due to corruption. Then it starts to get ugly. Lyndon Johnson, Thurgood Marshall, 78 days. You can thank the Democrats from the South. Let's see here. Then we have Richard Nixon. Warren Berger, 17 days. Clement Hainsworth was rejected 92 days. Harold Carswell was rejected 79 days. Then he goes to Harry Blackman, disaster, 27 days. Lewis Powell, 45 days. Rehnquist, 49 days. Then we move on. Take a look at Reagan. Reagan nominates Rehnquist, who's already on the court, as Chief Justice. 89 days. Antonin Scalia. 85 days. Robert Bork fought like hell. The vote was 58 to 42. He lost 114 days. Anthony Kennedy, 65 days. David Souter, 69 days. Clarence Thomas, 99 days. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 42 days. And we go on. Anyway, the point is this. All these efforts to try and say, this is a historic first. They rushed through Amy Coney, uh, Barrett, and so forth and so on. Don't believe all this crap. You've had justices that have taken four months. You've had justices that have been confirmed exactly the same day they've been nominated. 
So there's nothing really historic about this unless you want to create history out of this. And uh, the fact of the matter is that no president in American history, this is the key, has ever failed to nominate uh, an individual for the Supreme Court when a vacancy has occurred at the end of their first or second term, regardless of campaigns. Not one. Donald Trump would have been the first one, and you know he was never going to do that. 22 presidents have done it, now 23. On 29 occasions, and now 30. That's the bottom line. There's nothing inappropriate about any of this. Waiting for the voters... The Democrats want to destroy the Supreme Court, ladies and gentlemen. The voters don't want them to do it. The polls say no. We're not going to wait for the voters. The voters already spoke. The president's the president. The Senate's the Senate. And let's hope that Amy Coney Barrett turns out to be as great as she sounds. Because once individuals get on the court, they often change. Not Clarence Thomas. Not Antonin Scalia. Nope, not William Rehnquist. And I believe uh, Justice, soon-to-be Associate Justice Barrett, I believe she'll be among them. We shall see. I'll be right back. Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, and it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin for Hillsdale.com. I should have added Sam Alito. He's been outstanding. You know, there have been speeches on the floor of the Senate, ladies and gentlemen. Pro and con. Judge Barrett, soon to be Justice Barrett. And there have been conservatives who've done uh, really a hell of a job. Mike Lee among them. But the leftists in the Senate, just so you understand how they view the Constitution, originalism is an attempt to discern what the framers meant by the words in the Constitution, uh, the public meaning of the words in the Constitution. In other words, justices are not supposed to go far afield, lifetime appointments, They're supposed to uphold the Constitution. They take an oath to faithfully do that. Of course, the progressives have changed all that. Woodrow Wilson famously said that the way they're going to have uh, significant changes and and promote the progressive agenda is through the courts. Ed Markey was on the floor of the Senate today. He called originalism racist, sexist, and homophobic. That's how he views the Constitution. 
Angus King, named after a favorite family cow of Maine, uh, he said this morning that originalism makes no sense. He said it's been invented as a cloak to cover a theory that would take us back to 1933. Um, So you're you're talking about senators who are relatively dim-witted, who have radical left agendas, and the Constitution stands in their way. And that's the nature of progressivism. You've read about it in Rediscovering Americanism and so forth. The Constitution limits the role of the central government. When you're a progressive or a leftist or a democratic socialist or a Marxist, you don't want limits placed on the central government. And that's the problem they have with the Constitution. That's the problem they have with Barrett. That's the problem they have with originalism and originalists on the court. Because the the Constitution, and if upheld by the Supreme Court, is supposed to protect the individual, not empower the politician. In terms of protecting racism and sexism, and, uh, and, and, and then it's homophobic, I have no idea where this guy Ed Markey is coming from. No idea. Racism, sexism, and homophobia doesn't come out of the Supreme Court. It came mostly out of the Democrat Party, Ed Markey's party. And yet he's still a Democrat. So let's get that straight, number one. Number two, the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution as applies to the states in the 14th Amendment, was ratified by the states. Now, although the states were focused on blacks in that particular situation, recently freed black slaves, obviously equal protection is something that can be drawn back to the Declaration of Independence, which they also reject. They reject the Declaration of Independence as a very nice statement from from revolutionaries back then, but as Woodrow Wilson would say, what's that have to do with us? And that's why they they omit under God or the Creator in the Declaration of Independence. So the 14th Amendment is what outlaws discrimination based on race and sex and so forth and so on. Anyway, more when I return. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, and it will continue to fight to live up to that motto 
come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. By the way, if the standard is not originalism, they're trying to actually discern what was meant by the uh, by those who authored and ratified the Constitution. Then what is the standard? Then what is the standard? For the, for the left, it's political. It's the same standard if you're a senator, you're a member of the House, you're a governor, same standard. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. I want to tell you a little bit more about Joe Biden. Shockingly, thanks to the New York Slimes, Mike McIntyre and Serge F. Kovaleski, if that is his name. For the millions of voters getting to know him, Senator Biden, the Democratic vice presidential nominee, portrays himself at times as an average guy, takes the train to work, frets about money, and basically has led a middle-class life. Ladies and gentlemen, your kitchen table is like mine, Mr. Biden said. When Senator Barack Obama introduced him as his running mate, you sit there at night after you put the kids to bed and you talk, you talk about what you need. You talk about how much you're worried about being able to pay the bills. So does Joe. Well, not really. Mr. Biden certainly can trace his roots to the working class neighborhoods of Scranton, Pennsylvania and Claymont, Delaware, where he was raised. But these days, his kitchen table can be found in a 6,800 square foot custom built colonial style house on four lakefront acres, a property worth close to $3 million. Although he is among the least wealthy members of the Millionaires Club that is the United States Senate, this is in 2008, 2008. He and his wife Jill, a college professor, earn $250,000 a year. Mr. Biden maintains a lifestyle that's more comfortable than the impression he may have given on the campaign trail. So I've gone back 12 years. This is before he was a private citizen, before all those speeches and before all that money. On a senator's salary. A review of his finances found that when it comes to some of his largest expenses, like the purchase and upkeep of his home and his use of Amtrak trains to get around, he has benefited from resources and relationships not available to average Americans. Don't you wonder why the New York Slimes didn't update this article? As a secure incumbent who has rarely faced serious competition during 35 years in the Senate... Mr. Biden's been able to dip into his campaign treasury to spend thousands of dollars on home landscaping and some of his Amtrak travel between Wilmington, Delaware, where he lives, and Washington. Back then, and maybe today, you could use campaign funds as personal perks. And the acquisition of his waterfront property a decade ago involved wealthy businessmen and campaign supporters, some of them bankers with an interest in legislation before the Senate, who bought his old house for top dollar, sold him four acres at cost, and lent him half a million dollars to build his new home. How do you like that, Mr. Producer? Who needs Hunter Biden when you're a crook on your own? There's nothing to suggest, of course, that Mr. Biden bent any rules in the sale. No. From purchase and financing of his homes. Rather, he appears to have benefited at times from the simple fact of who he is, a United States senator. 
not just Amtrak Joe or Lunch Bucket Joe, the train riding every man that the Obama-Biden campaign has deployed to rally middle-class voters. <coughs> Quote, he was a VIP, so he was treated accordingly by the bank, said Ronald Tennant, a former loan officer who handled the mortgages Mr. Biden used to build his house. The bank did not give him a below-market interest rate, a perk that has caused embarrassment for some members of Congress, but Tennant said, we pay particularly close attention to make sure everything came out right. Mr. Biden's campaign said that he neither received special treatment nor offered any. Why is this BS? Guy's earning anywhere from $140,000 to $160,000 a year, and he buys a $3 million home? Yeah, right. The senator said David Wade, his spokesman, has never forgotten where he came from. Well, they can't say that now, can they, Mr. Producer? He definitely doesn't know where he's coming from. He doesn't know what he ate for breakfast. Uh, has never forgotten where he came from or how he grew up, and the middle class values motivate his work for, for the middle class. Ladies and gentlemen, the man was elected to the Wilmington City Council, I think, when he was about 25 years old, fresh out of law school. He was elected to the United States Senate at 29 and sworn in at the age of 30. What is this middle class stuff? He's been in government his entire life. As for payments by Biden's campaign committee, Citizens for Biden, his aides insisted they were not used to cover the senator's living expenses, which would be illegal. Election lawyers said the law does not spell out all the ways an office holder could benefit personally from the use of campaign money and that regulators are generally reluctant to challenge the justifications campaign committees use. Mr. Biden's campaign said the payments to tree trimmers on lawn surfaces, typically totaling a few thousand dollars a year, were permissible. Because they were tied to political events at his home. Yes. He was having fundraisers with squirrels. Jim Whitaker, co-owner of Grassroots Inc., which was paid over $4,000 in 2000, said the payment probably represented several visits to the senator's property, adding that Mr. Biden was late paying the bill one time. We cut the grass, put sod down for him, did spring cleanings, mulching, knocked down vegetation. One time we did a mulching job and he was having an event, but I don't know if it was political or just for friends. Beyond landscaping costs, one of Biden's campaign's largest regular expenditures for Amtrak tickets for the senator's aides or consultants. Going back to 2001, they ranged from 9000 to 15000 a year, far exceeding that of his colleagues in Delaware's congressional delegation, whose campaign spent between $500 and $3,000 federal election record show. Like Mr. Biden, Delaware's other senator, Tom Carper, and Representative Michael Castle commute daily in Washington, their office said. So that means he was going first class. And uh, it was pretty expensive. Biden's aides acknowledge he sometimes uses campaign money to pay for trips if they involved a meeting or event related to his campaign. The Biden campaign's Amtrak expenses have remained high, even in years without elections. When he was not actively campaigning and his committee retained a handful of part-time staff members and almost no consultants. $10,000, almost $11,000 in 2003. Now again, these are $2,008. Mr. Biden's Amtrak travels the stuff of Washington lore. At least by Senate standards, Biden doesn't have to try too hard to underscore his relative lack of wealth. He's long Shouldered a heavy debt load. He obtained a refinance mortgages 29 times since he was elected in 1972. 
currently owes $730,000 on two mortgages on his home. How did he get two mortgages on a $3 million home when he's not earning that much? His salary was $165,000 a year, relatively speaking. Yes, it's a good amount of money, but I'm talking about for a $3 million home. You going to get a $3 million home, Mr. Producer? He previously lived for 21 years in a 10,000-square-foot former DuPont mansion in Greenfield. What? What? After extensive renovations, he sold it in February 1996. He bought it for $185,000. That's it? And through word of mouth, he sold it. Uh, Let's see. He sold it February through word of mouth to John Cochran III, the vice chairman of... MBNA Bank, one of the nation's largest credit card companies, he agreed to pay Biden's full asking price, $1.2 million. And MBNA reimbursed Cochran for a loss he took on the sale of his old home. Does this sound straight up to you, Mr. Producer? Oi, gewalt. And it goes on. So you may say, this is, this is little pickings here. But this is 2008. This is how the guy acquired much of his property. Valuable, valuable property as a senator. There's no lunch bucket in Joe's uh, background, none whatsoever. And all those Amtrak trips, you were paying for most of them. You see how the media portrays, oh, lunch bucket Joe. He would take the Amtrak train, my goodness, on a $165,000 salary. This guy... Uh, you paid for everything. And you also got special deals. But we're not allowed to talk about that. Because he has to win, right? No, he doesn't. That's Joe Biden. I got a whole bunch of stuff here on Joe Biden. Pointing out that he's lost his mind again. Uh, let's see here. First of all, let's take a look. Uh, cut seven, where he's bragging Saturday. about. And by the way. They say goes to Pennsylvania. The president's right. Northern Delaware and northwestern Delaware, just at the tip, borders Pennsylvania. And by the way, that little piece of Delaware has always been in dispute with Pennsylvania. Doesn't matter. So he like steps over the border and says, hey, I'm in Pennsylvania, the Keystone State. Welcome to the Commonwealth. And he talks to about 12 people. Anyway... He's in a virtual campaign event on Saturday. Virtual campaign event. And a party says this. Cut seven, go. We're in a situation where we had put together, and you guys did, did it for our administration, the president. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did he say use guys? Did he just say use guys? Can you start over, Mr. Producer? We're in a situation where we had put together, and you guys did, did no, it for No, it was huge guys, I guess. He's going to be 78. God forbid if he wins, it'll be 82 by the end of the... Everyone knows he's not going to finish it. This, this whole thing is a disgrace. A disgrace by the Democrat Party, a disgrace by his family, and a disgrace by the media. He is simply not up to being president of the United States. Go ahead. The President Obama's administration before this, we have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. Now, people laugh it off. They dismiss it. You'll never hear this on CNN or MSNBC or anything else. 
They've put together the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization. And so this isn't a gaffe, ladies and gentlemen. This is a problem. This is a problem. He's not tired. He's not on the campaign trail. He's not overworked. And so the media have created here is, what's the big deal? They've dumbed down everything. This is a problem. It's ridiculous. And then he says this yesterday, also in a uh, virtual event. Cut eight, go. This is the most consequential, not because I'm running, but because who I'm running against. This is the most consequential election uh, in in a long, long, long time. And the character of the country, in my view, is literally on the ballot. What kind of country we're going to be? Mm-hmm. Four more years of George, uh, George, uh, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where, if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in a different world. Okay, everybody, okay with that? George, uh, Georgia is trying to trying to figure out who he's running against. Again, this isn't funny. This isn't for gossip this is a problem and some of you listening to me who are not Trump supporters I I don't know how you can can vote for somebody like this I really don't you're really endangering the country because this guy is going to have to have multiple meetings and there is absolutely no reason no justification whatsoever for the manner in which he's campaigning it's not the virus Most of you are out there. There's traffic jams around Washington, D.C. now, Mr. Producer. People are working. Just follow the the, the advice that uh, the doctor's given and so forth. There's no reason that Joe Biden is the last man, literally, the last man standing. And by that, I don't mean it's a good thing. I mean it's a bad thing. You can't have a president who isn't willing to come out except on Groundhog Day. Well, there's Joe Biden. Wait, he's come up. We're going to have a, a crap. Another month of snow. Wait, another month of winter. Can you believe this? There, Joe came out from under the bunker. That's unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires educated people and people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its free online courses and through its support of classical K-12 charter schools. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating way back to 1844, commit to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. The learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God as described in the Declaration of Independence. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, and it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levin for Hillsdale.com. Now, as you've heard by now, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were with uh, Nora O'Donnell. 
on 60 Minutes. And unlike Leslie Stahl, Nora Donald, shockingly, shockingly, did a pretty damn good job. And I want you to listen to her question, Kamala Harris, and how preposterous Kamala Harris is. As a vice presidential candidate and a senator, she's utterly preposterous. Cut 16, go. You're very different in the policies that you've supported in the past. You're considered the most liberal United States senator. I, somebody said that, and it actually was Mike Pence on the debate stage. But. Yeah. Well, actually, the nonpartisan GovTrack has rated you as the most liberal senator. You supported the Green New Deal. You supported Medicare for All. You've supported legalizing marijuana. Joe Biden doesn't support those things. So are you going to bring the policies, those progressive policies that you supported as senator, into a Biden administration? What I will do, and I promise you this, and this is what Joe wants me to do, this was part of our deal. I will always share with him my lived experience as it relates to any issue that we confront. And I promised Joe that I will give him that perspective and always be honest with him. And is that a socialist or progressive perspective? No. (laughs) You know, that cackling laugh is very annoying to me. It's like Hillary Clinton-esque. It's a nervous laugh. It's a laugh when somebody's trying to dodge. But it is very, very annoying to me. Go ahead. No, it is the perspective of, of a woman who grew up a, a, a black child in America, who was also a prosecutor, who also has a mother who arrived here at the age of 19 from India, who also, you know, likes hip-hop. <laughs> like, what do you want to know? What I want to know is, most recently, however, you have a record as a United States senator. And while all those things are quite interesting, and so many Americans have unique and interesting backgrounds, You want to lead the country. You want to make decisions for our lives and for our children and our grandchildren. And so that's what we're talking about. How can you be more liberal than Bernie Sanders or Ed Markey or Chuck Schumer or Dick Durbin? I mean, you are way, way out there. Way, way out there. And you're going to be giving Joe Biden your advice. And Joe Biden is a man who is, who, is, uh, who is struggling with his own sanity. And I mean this quite, quite honestly and seriously. So you're going to have enormous power. And you're going to have significant influence on the cabinet, on the rest of the executive branch, and dealing with Congress and dealing with the media. So the cackling doesn't cut it. And notice she didn't answer the question. She did not answer the question. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I failed to mention that USA Today also looked at the Biden income in 2008. 2008, 12 years ago. 
And they found Democratic vice presidential candidate Joe Biden and his wife gave an average of $369 a year to charity during the past decade, as tax records show. What do you think of that, Mr. Producer? An average of $369 and you have a $3 million house? They reported earnings of $320,000 in, uh, I think it's uh, 07. So um, they gave 0.2% in charity. Over the decade, the Bidens reported a total of $3,690 in charitable donate. Not one year, all years, or 0.2% of their income. Is that not amazing? Yeah, I'll say it's amazing. I just want you to know who they really are. You know, they hide it. They hide the Joe Biden racism and bigotry through so much of his career. They don't talk about it. This is a man who was on the government payroll. Meanwhile, 12 years ago, he owned a $3 million house. Now he owns four or five mansions. He releases what are said to be his tax returns, and you can see he sets up an S-corporation because now he's making real money over the table. God knows what's coming under the table, thanks to Hunter, but over the table, over $13 million in two years. This is what amazes me. These public figures, they leave office and they become extremely wealthy. Donald Trump comes into office extremely wealthy, he takes hits, and they want to see his tax returns. But Joe Biden's tax returns show he set up an S-corporation, and the headline should have been, Joe Biden does not contribute to the Obamacare tax. Because he hasn't. And that's why he set up the S-corporation. And he contributed very, very little to Medicare, which is another reason he set up the S-corporation. So almost nothing to Medicare, nothing to Obamacare, and yet he claims to want to defend them and support them. When in fact he's opening them up to illegal aliens, he's opening up to people who are much younger, and on and on and on. And for a decade, he gave a total, an average of $369 a year while he was playing the system. While you were paying for his Amtrak trips. Oh, he takes the Amtrak. What a guy. You're paying for his lawn services. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, I want to move into some other areas here, please. You're not going to believe this. On October 24th, October 24th, by my calculation, two days ago, Mr. Producer, in Salon.com, and Salon is radical leftist. I mean, way over the edge, right there with Kamala Harris. There was an article. And who's it by? My printer doesn't say Igor or somebody or other figures. And I don't have it here. But here's what he says. You ready? I can't read the whole thing, but I'll read enough of it. Please, ears wide open. COVID-19 death rates have drastically fallen among all age groups, even as cases spike. Now, this is what the president's been explaining. There's more testing, so you uncover more cases. If there wasn't more testing, you wouldn't uncover more cases. This is why in 2009, Obama ordered no more testing for the swine flu. Fauci didn't have a problem with it back then. Oh, yeah, he held the same position. You didn't hear him squawking. You didn't see him on TV. 
You know, you'd see him now and then. Now he's on every day. The guy's on sonograms. The guy's on airport radar. He's everywhere. By his own choice. Okay? This is what the president's talking about. Now they're not reporting death rates. They're reporting cases. Remember the charts on the death rates? You don't see them anymore. Now this is this ultra-radical left-wing salon.com. The chances of dying from COVID-19 have fallen precipitously since the pandemic began, according to two new peer-reviewed studies. So it's not links on Media Matters or Mediaite that matter. These are real studies cited by the left-wing kooks over there at Salon. One study from researchers at New York University's Grossman School of Medicine found that the death rate has gone down substantially among all age groups. Patients treated by NYU's health system had a 25.6% chance of dying when the pandemic began. But that number has fallen to 7.6% in recent weeks, according to the study, which will be published in the Journal of Hospital Medicine next week. The researchers identified multiple reasons for the drop, including increased experience with the virus among health workers, lower hospital capacity, the availability of new treatments, earlier intervention, higher community awareness, and lower viral load exposure from increasing mask wearing and social distancing. The researchers added that it's also possible that earlier periods had a more virulent circulating strain. Our findings suggest that while COVID-19 remains a terrible disease, our efforts to improve treatment are probably working, said co-author Leora Horowitz. Even in the absence of a silver bullet treatment or vaccine, we're protecting more of our patients through a host of small changes. And imagine when the vaccine arrives. Operation Warp Speed. I want people to hear me who are not necessarily thinking of voting for Trump. You have been sold a bill of goods. I really want people to hear me on this. That this president has really done remarkable things in an extraordinarily short period of time. While the NYU study only looked at about 5,000 cases in a single healthcare system in New York, another analysis by Bila Matin, a researcher at the Alan Turing Institute in the UK, similarly found that the death rate has fallen about 20 percentage points since the pandemic began. The study, which was released as a preprint before it is set to appear in the journal Critical Care Medicine, looked at data for more than 20,000 hospitalizations. This trend remains after adjustment for patient demographics and comorbidities, suggesting this improvement is not due to changing patient characteristics. Possible causes include the introduction of effective treatments as part of clinical trials and falling critical care burden, in other words, therapeutics, among other things. To be clear, the death rate is still higher than many infectious diseases, including the flu, Horowitz told NPR, and many patients still have severe symptoms months after first testing positive. It still has the potential to be very harmful in terms of long-term consequences for many people, she said. But they go on. The fact is, the fact is, the death rates have drastically fallen. I'm telling you that for a reason, because every news report I watched today was telling you that the cases have significantly increased. They keep changing. They keep changing the narrative. The narrative used to be the mortality rate. 
The narrative now is the number of cases. And there's also a problem with that. There are some issues that an individual who may come in twice is counted as two separate individuals. There's a lot of issues related to this. But just take the numbers as they are, which are high and awful. They're high and awful with cancer. They're high and awful with heart disease. They're high and awful with diabetes and, and, and murder rates and so forth and so on. So death is an awful thing, whether by Mother Nature or by our fellow man. It truly is. And I've had two parents who've died of cancer within four months of each other. In less than a two-year period. So it's awful. But the mortality rate when it comes to this virus is down. And I can assure you, if it were up, they'd be blaming the president. They blame him for every single death that has occurred as a result of this virus. Think about how crazy that is. Think about how absurd that is. And so many people are buying into this. That's why they keep repeating it. That There wouldn't have been so many deaths if Joe Biden were there. Joe Biden doesn't even know where the toilet paper is. He has no idea. In fact, I want to play you something. I had my interview with uh, the vice president. You may have seen it on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox last night. And I asked the vice president if, about Biden's approach to what Cuomo did and the others with respect to nursing homes and assisted living homes. And over 40% of the deaths have occurred as a result of, uh, of our elderly people, many of them very frail, who died as a result of this virus. Cut 25, Mr. Producer, go. The CDC issued guidance uh, for nursing homes to be able to safely operate, um, but uh, to see some governors, like the governor of New York, uh, literally return positive COVID patients to nursing homes, just it, it breaks my heart uh, to think of the lives uh, that were lost. Um, particularly as we were surging resources in, into New York and New Jersey and New Orleans and Detroit during those difficult days of the pandemic uh, in March and in April. I mean, I mean literally, we, we sailed a ship into New York Harbor. We, uh, we, we surged military medical personnel. We, we built overflow facilities in cities around uh, the country. And really, there was no excuse uh, for any public official uh, returning uh, seniors into a nursing home environment that hadn't been created to be safe and, and quarantined under CDC guidance. So look, we'll, uh, there'll, be, there'll be plenty of time uh, for people to be held accountable for that. But I will tell you, from early in this pandemic, uh, President Trump has put a specific focus on seniors uh, and every single day, and I expect through the vaccine, now, we'll, there'll be an independent board that determines who receives the vaccine first. But, but if history is a teacher, we would anticipate that seniors, particularly those who, that have underlying conditions, any American with an immunodeficiency, the most vulnerable will, will have the coronavirus vaccine first. Yes or no? Has Joe Biden ever condemned Cuomo or these other governors or their policies for putting coronavirus positive patients in nursing homes, to your knowledge? No. He's never condemned the governors. He's never condemned the policy. I've never heard it either. Now, why is that important? When Joe Biden says there's over 200,000 deaths and he blames the president of the United States, 
tens of thousands of deaths across this country were due to decisions, direct decisions, affirmative decisions made by these Democrat governors. Not the president. The president never put out an order compelling corona-positive patients to be placed with senior citizens or nursing homes or assisted living homes. So you senior citizens who are voting, and others among you who know senior citizens, you need to make this abundantly clear to them. They're going to be voting for the party that made this decision. Because Donald Trump and the Republicans did not. I'll be right back. I'm going to be really direct with you. If your cellular plan is with Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you're simply paying way too much for the exact same coverage you would get right now with Pure Talk. So look at your cell phone bill where it shows data usage. The average person who switches to Pure Talk is using less than 4 gigs of data a month. But the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but only needing one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, and 2 gigs of data all for just $20 a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. So, folks, switching to Pure Talk is the easiest decision you'll make today. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST. When you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N, podcast. That's Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. All right, let's take a few calls. David, Port Angeles, Washington, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, David? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call, Mark. Yes, this sir. This call is just to say, long story short, thank you for your Sunday night programming. It finally came in handy. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I are retired. I'm a black American. I'm 70 years old. My wife is a white lady. She's 73. We have a son who is the love of our life, an awesome yeah. kid. But since he left the house at age 18, went to college and on to the workforce, he has become mm-hmm. a anti-Trump, pro-Biden, America, systemically racist, blah, blah, blah. You know the whole routine. And yes, sir. we have been arguing with this kid for the last year and a half, trying to get him just figure out where he got these ideas, because he obviously didn't get them from us. Mm-hmm. So finally he came to see us last week, and we sat his butt down on the sofa and made him watch two of your shows, one featuring uh, Carol Swain, Dr. Carol Swain, mm-hmm. and another one with Bob Woodson from the Woodson Institute. Mm-hmm. And I think he finally heard some stuff he had never heard before, because I am not a wordsmith, and I'm not a good debater. I love him too much. I get you know too emotionally involved, but I think... He sat down on the sofa, and he watched those two shows in abject silence. And when they were done, he didn't say a word. We just went wow. on to dinner or whatever to do. But I think he finally heard something that made him think. So I just want to say thank you for that program. We've been saving that up on our VCR for the express purpose <laughs> of letting him to come over and hear it. So I think it was really effective. David, let me tell you two things. Number one, you are a wordsmith. You're uh, you're more articulate than I am. That's number one. But number two, um, you made boy, you more than made my day. I mean, this is fantastic. And uh, 
I'm going to get your address. I'm going to send you a book or two maybe you can share with your son. Not to pressure him, not to do anything of the sort. And I'll sign it to him. You'll give us his name off the air. And uh, we'll see how this goes. Okay, very good. Now, he's just such a great kid, Mark. Yeah. He was a dreamboat to raise. But uh, And I think the undertone of his whole conversation is he really has a heart for those less fortunately he doesn't his argument is there should be no uber rich in america and there should be no poor people in america and i'm trying to explain that anybody can make it in this country if they want to even if you sneak over a border illegally if you want to make right. it in america you can do it because the, the key word is freedom and i'm going to tell you something david let's pretend we live in a country where there's no rich so who's going to hire whom? Who's going to invent what? Who's going to be motivated? In other words, people are motivated. The government's motivated by materialism and gathering as much money as it possibly can, but it does it at the point of the law and, if necessary, the point of the gun. The private sector, you do it based on merit, for the most part, not in every instance. And so the development of drugs, the development of, of all kinds of technology, the development of the iPhone, the development of you name it, they're all uh, developed, or virtually all of them, because of a profit motive. And profit's not a bad thing. What do people do with money when they earn it? Do they burn it? Do they stick it in their mattress? No. They reinvest it. Well, let's say they park it in the bank. Okay, great. What's the bank do with the money? It issues loans, mortgages, that sort of thing. So this is money that, that, that resonates throughout the economy, that continues to grow, continues. Or let's say somebody invents well, somebody invents a cure for the coronavirus. Should they be rich or should they make as much money as everybody else? I think they should get whatever they deserve. And why do we care? In other words, they're not taking it from us. Right? I mean, it's not like they're going in my bank account or my pension and taking it from me. Exactly. You know, you can make it, you know. And, and uh, you know, one part of his conversation, I was talking to him, and I had to ask him. I said, well, son, do you feel guilty for the success you've had in life? And he kind of said, yes, I did. And I said, why? Well, I, I've got a father, and some people don't have fathers. And, oh. and uh, you, Mom, help me. And, and I said, well, son, that's just kind of life. I mean, some people don't have fathers, and that's part of the problem. And I said, you should be thankful and not feel guilty about it. Well, I you're said, right. David, i got to go. Don't hang up, please. Don't hang up. We're going to get your information. We're going to get transferred. And what would a radically egalitarian society look like? You know what it would look like? North Korea. Because you can't pull it off, but you'll die trying. Don't hang up. We'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. most powerful conservative voice the mark levin show dial in now 877-381-3811 you know major areas of california including now orange county and highly populated areas including parts of irvine california are being threatened by this massive fire mr producer you know this uh This praying and bang to climate change needs to end. And these governors and legislatures and others need to do their damn jobs. I know this area well because the home my son used to live in, now they're demanding evacuations. And these are relatively heavily populated suburbs, Mr. Producer. I mean, there's house after house after house, townhouse after townhouse after townhouse, in the thousands. And there are hills there that are always dry because of the lack of rain. But with the environmental chokehold they have on that state and the braying and praying to a climate change, they're not doing their jobs out there. They're not doing their jobs. And people have suffered, a lot of them, and a lot more are now going to suffer as a result. You know, it's amazing to me how many people, tens of millions of people in this country, can be persuaded by by abstract theories and phony arguments. But that's exactly what's going on, and that takes place too damn often. It's going to cost people their lives and has cost people their lives. It's like health care for all, it's a right. Okay, great. These are the same people that ran the Veterans Administration for decades... And during the uh, Obama-Biden administration, as the president has mentioned, over 300,000 vets died because they didn't get their health care in time. doesn't matter if it's a right, a privilege. If you can't get it, you can't get it. They'll promise you the moon, the left. And they'll deliver you a turd. I mean, these left-wing policies cost people their lives. It's shocking. Let's go to Kevin, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on the Mark Levin app. Kevin, how are you, sir? We're doing pretty well, Mr. Levin. I really appreciate your program. And, Thank and you. Trying to get, get the truth out there. But, uh, something Give peace you a chance. Earlier, yeah, <laughs> something you said earlier that uh, <laughs> caught my attention about Biden's taxes and his charitable contributions. Yes, sir. And, you know, really, that doesn't surprise me. And you know why? Because I think that you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people from the, the liberal side feel that the government has to take care of all our needs, mm-hmm. and then our contributions should go to the government. And then my idea is it should go to nonprofits and so forth, where we know the money is being used. You know, to exactly the overhead's a lot less. Yeah, and and, and they, they you know you know they do these studies and they find that uh, conservatives are much more uh, uh, charitable. 
than non-conservatives. They give more money to charities than non-conservatives. I'd love to see what uh, Trump has donated. You probably can. He's donated his salary for one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, Joe Biden's ever done that. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. Well, Mark, he's not rich. Well, he decided to be on the government payroll his whole life. And we have paid millions and millions of dollars into the Biden family. Income, pensions, medical care, you name it. This other stuff, what do you call it? I don't even know. He's been... This is, this is what amazes me. This guy's been on the government payroll his entire life. And he knows how to do everything. He'll tell you whatever, you know... This is what we ought to do in healthcare. This is what we ought to do in, uh, in energy. This is what I think. The guy hasn't achieved a damn thing. And his running mate's achieved even less than a damn thing. She's in negative uh, territory. Kent, Dallas, Texas, the great WBAP. Go, Kent. Hey, Mark. Uh, thank you for taking my call. How are you this evening? All right. Thank you, sir. So I had a question uh, about whether... Uh, Anyone has ever questioned Congress's authority to actually increase the court, the number of justices, or whether, I know it's uh, from the Judiciary Act, it looks like it's always been decided that way, but if, is there a No, they have, they, they have the power to do so, uh, to increase the number. I mean, like legislation, you're right, through a Judiciary Act, the President has to sign off on it, the House has to go along with it. Uh, it's been increased and reduced, but not, not in the last hundred and some odd years. Uh, so there's no question about that. Congress, again, with the president's signature, has the power and has created all the appellate courts, all the district courts, all the number of judges and so forth. That's all been set by Congress. The only court okay, that no. it doesn't control is the Supreme Court, but even there, it can, uh, it can affect the number of justices. Well, that was my question. The Supreme Court, if it's established by the Constitution and the Congress has authority to ordain and establish the inferior courts, wouldn't there be a separation or a distinction or no? No, it's just that they're, they're independent in terms of what they do, but they're not independent in terms of, uh, of Congress having the ability to pay their salaries, to pay their overhead, to decide if they're going to have a new courthouse. Uh, to pay for their furniture, uh, the Congress determines how many, as I say, lower court judges there are, circuit court judges there are, and Supreme Court justices. The court itself at the Supreme Court level is the only court created by the Constitution, but its makeup is left to Congress. Okay, and my question really resolves, and I appreciate that response uh, because I've been considering the possibilities, the uh, I guess the question I had was if Supreme Court is established... There's no constitutional issue. There's no separation of powers issue. understand. Okay, very good. Well, thank you for taking my call. You bet. Take care of yourself. You take care of yourself. Let us go to Kathy. Scranton, Pennsylvania, the great WTRW. Go. Hi, how are you doing, Mark? Very well, thank you. I wanted to say about that laugh, that clip that you had. Wait a minute. I had, you called me once before, didn't you? I, I talked to you time to time. I remember you, Kathy. Go right ahead. You remember that uh, clip you had earlier with her laugh and Kamala Harris yes. laughing? It's very Reminded annoying. me of Hillary. Hillary's laugh. Remember that laugh? Oh, it's a cackle. Yeah, yeah. 
And I was wondering if she was smoking some of that Jamaican weed. No, 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 no. Now let me ask you, Kathy. Get, get us all on track. Let me ask you something, Kathy. Scranton, Pennsylvania. When's the last time you saw Joe there? Oh, he came Saturday. Nobody showed up. All Trump people showed up. The only they time have- he only time he goes to Scranton is when he wants votes for his presidential runs. Otherwise, he will never be seen in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Right. All the Trump supporters showed up with their flags, their trucks, and and they all like Yahoo'd for Trump. And he and- called them Trumps. Remember? Nothing. He called the he called he called the Trump supporters. How's it looking in Scranton? Who do you think they're going to vote for? Trump. It's Trump so big up here. We're Trump because he's. We know that if Joe Biden gets in, okay, and becomes president, we will die. There will be no no but no gas, which is what we live on. There will be no coal, which is we're coal miners. I mean, come on. Taxes, too. There won't be no taxes. Can you imagine us having to go back to the Middle East and depend on oil no. from that? You're right. You're right. It's, a, it's national security, too. Thank you, Kathy. You take care. All right, let's go to Kent. Did we already go to Kent? Zach, Statesville, North Carolina, on the great Mark Levin app. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Mark. I just had a had a little idea. I'm a small business owner. I've got a small uh, business in the construction industry. And, um, you know, I've always felt it's important to vote. But this year, um, which this is this will be my business's first time during an election, uh, I just kind of came up with a plan to uh, give all my employees whatever time they need off to get to the polls and vote, whether it's early voting, whether it's on how do you think day, they'll vote? Whatever it is with with pay. How do you think? Well, that's nice of you. How do you, it sounds like you're running the uh, school systems around America? They do exactly the same thing, except you're using your own money. They use ours. Uh, my question to you is, how do you think they'll vote? Well, <laughs> I know my employees well enough to know how they'll vote, but. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no, in my opinion, there's never been a, a more important time for everyone in the country to express their feelings. Well, you know, I'm not that way. I, I want to defeat. I, I hope the liberals stay home. They can express their feelings all they want because they're going to be voting in a way that's going to be extraordinarily detrimental to us. So I'm not the League of Women Voters. I'm not, you know, doing a public service. I'm very, very partisan. Well, that's true, but I tell you, I, I've traveled, uh, I'm in North Carolina, I've traveled all over North Carolina, Virginia, and South Carolina uh, with my business, and I, I tell you, from what I see, I don't think Joe stands a chance. I mean, I, I don't think he Well, can. he definitely does, and uh, it depends on where you're going. You know, I say, I live in Virginia, and uh, there are parts, I, I drove in a county around here called Arlington County, which is very Democrat. I saw Biden signs everywhere. That's well, where a lot of government employees live, and so I saw Biden signs everywhere. You go out to rural parts of Virginia, you don't see them. Right. The problem is there's more of them in Arlington County than there are of us in these, uh, you know, rural counties. Right. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed and get as many people we can out to the polls. That's the key. The we, we know. That's the key. That's the key. All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. 
I'm going to be really direct with you. If your cellular plan is with Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, you're simply paying way too much for the exact same coverage you would get right now with Pure Talk. So look at your cell phone bill where it shows data usage. The average person who switches to Pure Talk is using less than 4 gigs of data a month. But the big carriers are charging you for unlimited data. It's like paying for an entire row on an airplane, but only needing one seat. That's how Pure Talk saves the average person over $400 a year on their wireless service. Unlimited talk, text, and 2 gigs of data all for just $20 a month. And if you go over on data usage, they don't charge you for it. So folks, switching to Pure Talk is the easiest decision you'll make today. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code LEVINPODCAST. When you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N podcast. That's Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. We always run out of time. You know, I could do the whole Jerry Lewis thing here and go on for hours. Couldn't I, Mr. Producer? I don't know that anybody would listen for hours, but I could actually do it for hours and go on for hours. Let's go to Lisa, Fairfax, Virginia, the great W-M-A-L. Lisa, go. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, there are millions of people who worked for ExxonMobil Corporation when it was here in Fairfax, Virginia. Yes. Well, after people retired, ExxonMobil was one of the few companies that gave people a pension check. So now that Joe Biden wants to get rid of big oil, what's going to happen to our monthly pension checks? This I don't know. But, I mean, we're really the only country in the face of the earth that will destroy ourselves from within. Yeah. Can you we are, we are in, I mean, I don't think people understand. You and I, I don't know how old you are. I'm old enough to remember when, when I was a kid, you had OPEC. You still have it. They threatened us. We had... Odd days and even days where you could get gasoline. We had long lines at gas stations. The price were going through the roof. People couldn't afford it. It was a national security problem. It became a military issue. And here we are now, thanks to the the technological genius of our capitalist system in these corporations. We, We are energy independent because of fracking. They said it couldn't be done. They've been working on it for decades. And they achieved it. And now we're going to say, you know what, let's burn it all down. Now, who benefits from that? The communist Chinese, the fascistic Putin, the Iranians, the Islamo-Nazis there, and all of our enemies benefit from this. And guess who's promoting it? The Democrat Party. Does the Democrat Party love America or not? Then they pretend we're doing this because of climate change. They always have these phony answers. They They had to make a decision about 25 years ago in the Democrat Party. And this is the truth. Do we go with the environmental nut jobs who fund us? Or do we go with the blue-collar workers who vote for us? And they thought they figured out something very clever, climate change. First it was global cooling, then it's global warming. They said, no, no, no. Obviously, when we call it these things, they can take a look at the data and the statistics and demonstrate that we're wrong. Just call it climate change. Because every schmo and schmageggy out there knows that climate changes. So we'll blame it on ourselves. We'll blame it on capitalism. We'll blame it on American corporations. And how do we fix it? 
More regulations, more taxes, more power flowing to Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, all these people, you're talking about yourself, all these people who are going to suffer. In the name of the people, the people suffer. And this is what Marxism and progressivism is all about. They pretend to be for the people because they use the people to get power and then they use the iron fist. Thank you for your call. Great call. Let's go to Amir, Los Angeles, California, 870 The Answer. Amir, how are you, sir? I'm great, sir. Not Mark Levine. I, I can't wait. I'm from Israel, and I was waiting for years to actually talk to you personally, you know, about what's going on in America. You know, I came here from, from Israel, you know, after the military, uh, built yes, my own business, you know, and uh, they, the Democrat killed. I'm a barber, and they killed my business here in L.A. They closed me God. for six months. And, uh, you know, now mm-hmm. I can't even find, Klein doesn't want to come because they're scared of the Democrats. They, they, they just lock my... Yeah, you'll get arrested. Let me tell you something, Amir. Let me tell you this. The bureaucrats are getting paid. The politicians are getting paid. It's just the people in the private sector who pay all the taxes. They're the ones struggling the most. Barber shops, salons, small retail shops, even big companies. Thank you for your call. I'm sorry we're out of time. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. The other day, last week, I believe, I told you about so many things in common between Lincoln and Trump, thanks to a brilliant author by the name of John Cribb. And uh, he's written a book on Lincoln, and he is a Lincoln scholar. And I wanted to bring another to your attention. The odds stood against Lincoln for re-election as the Civil War raged on. Well, history repeated itself in 2020. Mr. Lincoln is already beaten. He cannot be elected. And we must have another ticket to save us from utter overthrow. That verdict came from the pen of Horace Greeley, editor of the New York Tribune, heading into Abraham Lincoln's re-election campaign of 1864. Most Americans remember Lincoln as a hero and perhaps our greatest president. But when he stood for re-election, many in the press and political class viewed him as a loser. The odds weighed heavily against him. I mean, after all, no president had won a second term since Andrew Jackson in 1832. 
That was the least of Lincoln's problems. The Civil War had dragged on for three years with horrific casualties piling up and no end in sight. Spring had brought carnage at battles, such as the Battle of Wilderness in Spotsylvania Courthouse in Virginia. Horrific casualties. War weariness had spread across the North. Critics called Lincoln a buffoon, a miserable failure, an insignificant man. Experts of the day said he showed very weak and foolish traits of character. Few desperate Republicans cast about for other candidates. They dreamt of running General Ulysses S. Grant or perhaps Secretary of the Treasury Salmon Chase. Just about anybody but Lincoln would do. Disgruntled members of the GOP gathered in Cleveland to protest the, quote, imbecile and vacillating policy of the present administration in the conduct of the war, quote, unquote. They nominated John C. Fremont to run against their own party's president. Fremont, by the way, had a wonderful military record. Meanwhile, Republicans loyal to Lincoln gathered in Baltimore to nominate him. Their platform called for a constitutional amendment prohibiting slavery. But any cause for acceleration was dampened by news of 7,000 Union casualties in one day, only a few days early, at the Battle of Cold Harbor. While Lincoln reminded supporters that he was best not to, it was best not to swap horses when crossing streams, northern pessimism deepened. General Grant, unable to destroy General Robert E. Lee's army, dug in for trench warfare at Petersburg, just south of Richmond. Down in Georgia, General William T. Sherman's army stalled outside of Atlanta. July and August brought the gloomiest days of the war. The Confederate army invaded Maryland, threatening the ring of forts surrounding Washington, D.C., At Petersburg, Union troops tunneled under the southern lines and detonated a mine, which blew open a crater 30 feet deep and 60 feet wide. But soldiers rushing into the gap were slaughtered by Confederate guns. Lincoln plunged into despair. Quite paralyzed and wilted down, one officer reported. You think I don't know I'm going to be beaten? But I do, Lincoln told a friend. And unless some great change takes place... I'll be beaten badly. In late August, Democrats convened in the same Chicago Convention Hall where Lincoln had been nominated four years earlier and chose General George McClellan, Lincoln's former commander-in-chief, to head their ticket. Their platform declared the war failure and called for a cessation of hostilities. Southerners cheered the prospect of a Democratic victory, hoping McClellan would negotiate a peace that would allow the South to become a separate country. The tide is setting strongly against us, warned Henry Raymond, editor of the New York Times and chairman of the Republican National Committee. John C. Nicolay, Lincoln's private secretary, summed up the move to the White House, quote, everything is darkness and doubt and discouragement. Then on September 3rd came a telegram from General Sherman that electrified the North. Quote, Atlanta is ours and fairly won. Unquote. The fall of Atlanta changed everything. 
Supporters came out of the woodwork, praising the steadfastness of Father Abraham and shouting, no peace without victory. Fremont withdrew as an alternative candidate. A sullen Richmond examiner reported that Atlanta's fall had come just in time to, quote, save the party of Lincoln from irretrievable ruin, unquote. As Election Day approached, the administration pulled every string it could for turnout, including giving soldiers and government workers leave to go home to vote. If it could be done no other way, the president would take a carpet bag and go around and collect the votes himself, one Fred commented. In the end, Lincoln had nothing to worry about. He won in an electoral landslide with 212 votes to McClellan's 21. From John Polk's Dark Horse Triumph over Henry Clay in 1844, to Dewey B. Truman in 1948, to Trump's win over Hillary in 2016, surprises abound in presidential elections. They abound because the people decide, not the pundits or the political class or the experts behind the New York Times so-called election needle. They got it so wrong four years ago. Experts may get paid a lot of money, but they don't get to pick the winners. That's the magic of American democracy. The heads and the hearts of the people decide. As Lincoln noted with satisfaction, it does look as if the people wanted me to stay a little longer. Will President Trump be able to say the same? We will see in short order. A little bit of history. Now this president was about to win a significant electoral victory until something happened in January. The Wuhan China virus came to our shores as it had come to the shores of every other country. It is a brutal virus. It is a killer virus. It is a complicated and complex virus. We'd never seen anything like it before. Dr. Fauci, for all his talk, was caught off guard. He thought it would be like the flu, and he told people not to wear masks. Now he's Confucius reincarnated. Every syllable he utters, we're supposed to hang hang our hats on. The CDC bureaucracy, the FDA bureaucracy, was caught on its heels. The president rallied the federal experts, he rallied the private sector, and he rallied the American people despite what the Democrats and the media say day in and day out. And of course there were casualties. There have been casualties all over the world. It's a deadly virus. And of course there's been incompetence. In New York, in New Jersey, in Illinois, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. Incompetence in California, and Michigan. Where governors, contrary to the science, sent corona-positive patients into nursing homes and assisted living homes, resulting in the death of almost 90,000 senior citizens. Many of these same governors and others were caught shorthanded. They didn't prepare for a pandemic, and yet it is they who were in charge of their hospitals, their ICU beds, their ventilators, supplies, and all the rest. The federal government has absolutely no role in making these determinations, and never has. 
president of the United States tried to fill all the gaps as quickly as he could. Temporary emergency hospitals and emergency hospital beds. Thousands of doctors and nurses. Ventilators, PPEs, respirators. And of course, a warp drive towards therapeutics and vaccines. Many successful therapeutics and vaccines right at the door. Is the president poised to win or is he poised to lose? It's too bad there wasn't a vaccine just a few weeks earlier, much as the Battle of Atlanta secured the victory of Lincoln. But I pray to God and I hope that the American people are smarter than the propaganda that they're getting from the media and the Democrat Party. I told you this the other day, and I'm a student of history. Donald Trump will be considered one of the greatest presidents for a myriad of reasons. He simply will. And the idea that the American people will cut short his presidency by not electing him to a second term is a shocking possibility. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Amy Coney Barrett is no longer a judge. She's been confirmed by the United States Senate, will be sworn in within an hour as an associate justice of the Supreme Court. The vote in the Senate, this is why your votes are so damn important, 52 to 48. Susan Collins voted with the Democrats. Not a single Democrat voted to confirm her. So all this talk about promoting women, not a single female Democrat voted for Amy Coney Barrett. It's fraudulent the way these leftist women speak. There's never been a more qualified person for the Supreme Court, let alone a more qualified woman. And what's the controversy? That she wants to comply with the Constitution. So she had to be stopped at all costs, but they failed. They failed. Not a single Democrat voted for her. It's it's shocking. One of our favorite candidates in this election cycle is a young man by the name of Madison Cawthorn. And Madison Cawthorn has a wonderful story, and he's in, the, in a tremendous battle. It's neck and neck in this district that was redistricted by the, uh, by the North Carolina legislature. Madison, how are you, sir? 
Mark, I'm so honored to be on the show again. I think it's so apt what you were just talking about with Amy Cody Barrett. The left utilizes these identity politics, but as soon as you break from the conformity, Joe Biden will say you ain't black, or the Democrats in the Senate will say you're not woman enough. It's, uh, it's disgusting. Tell us about your race. It's tight, right? It sure is. You know what? If you ever get to meet my fiance, Mark, you need to either give her a hug or buy her a good strong drink because this uh, <laughs> this girl, uh, I, I, when we got engaged back in December, uh, a little while later, I said, "Honey, we can get married this summer. It'll be an eight-week primary, then an easy general election. We'll absolutely have time for a wedding." Uh, then about four weeks later, a liberal judge decided to redistrict us and make this a uh, from an R plus fourteen to an R plus two, so an incredibly competitive district. And they're spending a lot of money to defeat you, aren't they? They are indeed, but you know, that's, uh, I, I, I'm glad they're wasting the money on me instead of some other weaker candidate. Well, that's very uh, very kind of you. I've never heard a, uh, a candidate ever say anything like that. You're a young man. You're 25, as I recall. Um, you, uh, you've lost the ability to walk because of a terrible accident, correct? That is correct, Mark. Yes, uh, paralyzed from the waist down. But, you know, fortunately, because of uh, the reconstruction of my spine, I now have a, a spine of titanium, so I know I'm not going to bend when these, uh, these leftists come at me when I get to Washington. You give a lot of us hope, the way you just spoke, the way you speak. Uh, you give a lot of us hope. I guess you're a young man of deep faith, aren't you? Indeed, I am. Uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett. We, we both believe in Christendom. I, I, I'm a, uh, I, I'm a, I, I'm non-denominational down here in the South, so raised a Southern Baptist. But I have a very deep faith with Jesus Christ. And uh, you know, honestly, sir, I, I would love to extend a, an invitation to everyone listening. You know, this evening on Eastern Standard Time at eight fifty, my entire team will be praying not only for my election but for the elections overall. Because make no mistake, we're not voting between two men. In this election, it's two completely opposing worldviews, one that says you will kneel to the state and one that says you will stand for the flag. I want to strong, well, first of all, remind everybody, we're talking about North Carolina 11. What's in North Carolina 11? What's, what towns? Uh, so it is the Blue Ridge Mountains. We've got the, uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway, Appalachian Trail. Everything's great, but there is one very liberal city known as Asheville, and that's what was put back into my district to make it difficult. Gotta love these judges. They never do this to Democrats. They only do this to Republicans. Don't you have um, what's called the market in your district where people go uh, uh, wholesale and purchase uh, furniture that's made in your state and so forth and then retail it? Isn't that correct? Well, you want to know what's disgusting? That that was true when I was born. Uh, I'll tell you, in 1995, if you can believe I'm that young, uh, we did have the, we, we had some markets of the world where people would come and they would buy uh, furniture made right here in the Blue Ridge Mountains. But I'll tell you, because of NAFTA, because of uh, terrible liberal trade policies and big government ideologies, you know, we lost all those manufacturing jobs overseas. So mm-hmm. I'm thankful to the USMCA, but I'll tell you, it's going to take some people of a deep conviction and deep backbone willing to put up with a whole bunch of crap to be able to fight against what's going to come when we need to actually get these jobs back from China and back to the United States. I just want all you Levinites to know, this is a very special young man. My wife and I met him. Um, he's got an enormous heart. He's got, as you can hear, uh, outstanding values. He would be a remarkable contribution to the House of Representatives. 
we really do need to hold this seat in North Carolina. And this judge really made it very, very difficult. What he's not telling you is he's being heavily outspent, um, but he still fights on. His name is Madison Cawthorn, and I'd like you to go to his site, Madison, C-A-W-T-H-O-R-N.com, Madison, C-A-W-T-H-O-R-N.com. We're putting up a Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter, Mark Levin Show Parlor, which is the most important of them all. Uh, and you can go there directly if you like, but if you can help them, help them. And we wish you all the best and Godspeed, my friend. Thank you, Mark. You're a, you're a stalwart in the trenches. Thank you, my friend. You too. This is a very, very important young man. Very important young man. You know, the youngest man at the Constitutional Convention, Mr. Producer. Do you know who that was? James Madison. He was about the age of Madison Cawthorn here. Wise way beyond his years. He's a short guy, even by standards back then, but a brilliant young man. And in this young fellow, Madison, I see a brilliant young man. He has faced more personal challenges than the vast majority of us, not everybody, but the vast majority of us, before he was 25 years old. There's a terrible car accident. He is paralyzed from the waist down. You heard they had to rebuild his spine. And he's campaigning what is the largest district in North Carolina, a massive district, in a wheelchair. And he's solid as a rock. So I hope you'll help him if you can. And I hope he wins. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, the modern voice of the Founding Fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. ACB. I guess that's what we should call it. Replacing RBG. There you have it. You'll remember, or probably not if you're lucky, a uh, reprobate who pretends to be a journalist by the name of Davy Alba. She writes for the New York Slimes, the Holocaust-denying New York Slimes. Well, she tried to do a hit job on me and Bongino for linking, really, to these left-wingers and their left-wing stories and then mocking them uh, about the violence that they have planned for and after Election Day. 
And so I've been posting these stories to, to Davey. May I call you Davey? And uh, no answer. I said, you're really going to follow up on these? Not nothing. And here out of the Federalist, we have one right now. Resistance plans to shut down the country if Biden doesn't win. And it goes on to talk about these various groups. There's a group called Shutdown DC, and they have their allies. They have their allies in Black Lives Matter, of course, and, and I'm sure Antifa and other organizations, and they have put out the word. They put out the word about what it is they want to do and how they're going to do it. Then we have a piece in the American Thinker, another great website. Post-election 2022 studies say all hell to break loose. All hell to break loose. These are reports that were done by the Great Claremont Institute and the Texas Policy Foundation. They conclude on election night the winner will not be known due to millions of uncounted mail-in ballots in six battleground states. All intended chaos and anarchy by the Democrats and the media. Oh, you don't have any evidence. Shut the hell up. Given there's no clear victor, intense court fights can be expected that could result in a struggle right up to the January 6th joint session of Congress, which is, at that point, supposed to count electoral college votes. Uncertainty could extend even beyond this as decisions for both the presidency and vice presidency are battled out in Congress and before the U.S. Supreme Court. The other day when John Roberts joined the leftists on the court, in a four-to-four vote tie, refusing to stop the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania from rewriting Pennsylvania's election laws, leaving it under Article 2 to the state legislature, John Roberts opened the door wide and participated in this anarchy and chaos. Because now everybody's going to run to the Supreme Court, run to the Supreme Court, run to the Supreme Court. Is that what the Constitution says? Of course not. The state legislatures have the final word. But not when you have judges having the final word. So this really is a disgrace. And I want the media, again, for the 4,000th time, stop saying it's a 6-3 to three conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Six of the justices will have been appointed by Republicans. That doesn't make it a 6-3 to three conservative majority. Where the hell have these reporters been? Haven't they seen what's taken place the last couple of years with John Roberts? I mean, it's appalling. And here and there with Gorsuch, so far Kavanaugh's held the line. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. We'll see how long that goes on. There's another report, Hold the Line, A Guide to Defending Democracy. It's a how-to manual for organizing massive protests. And that's produced by hard-left researchers, organizers, and activists. So I had the temerity of posting both of these stories, links to these stories, and asking publicly if Davy Alba, the hit woman for the New York Slimes, but they all are, if she's going to write a story about the left and these groups and what they're planning. And so far, no. That's not their plan. I wonder why the New York Slimes. What a fraudulent operation. By the way, it's good to see our old buddy John Bolton, Mr. Producer. He's on MSNBC, he's on CNN, he's trashing the president, he's defending the Bidens. He's in bizarro land. Bizarro land. He probably plays cards with Madison Kelly and a few of those guys. I'm just guessing. I don't know. But it really is pretty, pretty shocking, isn't it? How, how quickly and how radically he has turned. Pauling. 
All right, let's take a couple of calls here. Russ, Central Valley, California, XM Satellite. Go right ahead, Russ. Yes, sir. My professor and uh, my family, I'm sharing your dad's Lincoln book with my seven grandsons and granddaughter. Wow, thank you. But, but hey, uh, I live here in the Central Valley, Tulare County, Kings County, Devin mm-hmm. Nunes' area. Yes, sir. And... I was listening to the radio one day when a nursing home manager got on the radio and begged not to let Governor Gruesome Mm Newsom force them to take in these infected COVID patients. Mm -hmm. And, Mark, a lot of people haven't calculated that it's attributed, and we had newspaper articles, about 40 to 50 percent of the deaths attributed to the COVID nursing home patients. I know. I've been saying it over and over again. You're quite right. And and beyond that, because uh, and and they and and politically they exploit this by blaming it on Trump. What does Trump have to do with this? Exactly. Nothing. Exactly. And 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 actually, in reality, it's much worse than that because we live in it out here. That those nursing homes require staff twenty four seven. So you got, and they're all working eight hour shifts. So you got three shifts working, and you got a fourth shift that's a rotating shift. All of those workers were exposed to these COVID patients. Then they go home. Many of them have a second job sometimes, part-time somewhere else. But more importantly, then they spread it and expose it to their family members, elderly folks. Then those people work. All right. No, no, we understand how the, how the arithmetic works. But what gets me is that these governors have high popularity ratings when they're destroying their economies. When their decisions resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands, they really did. This is the biggest bonehead decision out there. And then they try and turn it on the president, which is exactly why I asked and basically said to the vice president last night on Fox, has Joe Biden ever said that the decision by these Democrat governors to put coronavirus positive patients in with nursing home patients or residents and assisted living home residents has he ever criticized? And the answer is no. He's never said a thing. Russ, thank you for your call, my friend. Let us go to Ilona, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHD. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. This is Ilana, another caller from Israel originally. Wow. And I got my doctorate at University of Pennsylvania in social work, child welfare specialty. You must be smart. Thank you. I live in the suburb. I had two kids in uh, public school, um, elementary school, and uh, at the end of the year after the death of uh, George Floyd, uh, the schools all over started with an attack on the captive audience, the students, and their parents by using a full-blown lesson plan and curriculum indoctrinating them into the Mm -hmm. war culture, the whole critical race theory and the 1619 project, etc., And when I approached uh, and I wrote a letter to the superintendent, to the school board, and the principal, they are stating steadfast with their position and are accelerating their curriculum. I pulled my skill out of the, uh, my kids mm-hmm. out of that school. However, at the end of August, I launched a movement: no left turn in education, and starting exposing what they are doing in school. This is that, that's that's excellent. So where do you go if you want to find out? No left turn in education. Uh, is that a uh, website? Uh, yes, more than a website. Two weeks later, mid of September, I appeared on Tucker Carlson. I'm running out of time. Where can people 
Ma'am, where can people go if they want to learn more? People have been joining the movement. Where can people go if they want to learn more? No Left Turn in Education in Facebook and NoLeftTurn.us. All right. Thank you very much. I didn't know we were going to be promoting the site, but that's a good thing. But we got to keep moving. Chicago public schools say teachers union refuses to even discuss returning to in-person classes this year. They won't even talk about it. Public education is being destroyed from within. These teacher unions, the NEA, and some of these more, even more radical are unbelievable. You go to the National Education Association website, among other things. You know what you're going to find, Mr. Producer? Linking to Black Lives Matter and promoting that for the classroom. You know, it's one thing to have a union or association, the purpose of which is to represent the, the membership. I get that. I have no problem with that. That's a good thing in America, okay? If people want them, if they don't want them, it's not a good thing. But if people, I got it. But when they turn into these Marxist, hardcore, left-wing operations that try and advance an ideology and try and poison our students and that sort of, that's a whole nother damn story. And then they threaten these schools, you either let us do X and Y and Z and teach X and Y and Z, you either cut the funding to the cops, remember that in L.A., or we're not going back to work. You know what? There should be the ability to fire their asses. And I understand public sector unions for cops and firefighters and so forth. They need them. They need to be protected. It's a sad fact. They need to be protected. I'm not talking about paper pushers, though. And I'm going to tell you, about 30, 35% of the teachers in this country are very solid. They're very good people. They want to educate their kids. But the rest of them are left-wing Democrat union thugs. That's right, I said it. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I want to talk to uh, you righteous Gentiles out there as well as my fellow Jews. Are you seeing again what's going on in New York City? Over the weekend, a thousand or more Jews had a car caravan in support of Donald Trump. 
they came under brutal assault by Antifa and other groups. And many of the Jews were bloodied up. They fought back, but they were targeted. Did you also see the video where the police entered the home of some Jews because of the number of cars that were parked outside? And they came into that house. They were counting the number of Jews who were in the house to make sure there weren't more than a certain number. I guess 10 is the rule into their home. Did you see the video where an Orthodox school had a summons written even before the officer went into the school? There wasn't a single student in the school. The administrative staff was there and it was a very thin staff. De Blasio and Cuomo are not treating the Muslims this way. There are Muslim communities that are meeting in large numbers. They're meeting at their mosques. They're meeting at their homes. You don't see any of this footage. You don't see them being attacked by Antifa or Black Lives Matter. And so I appeal to my righteous Gentile friends and my Jewish friends that what's going on here is frightening because of the almost complete lack of attention it's receiving on cable news, on television news networks, and even in newspapers. It is worthy of our very, very serious attention. Because the left uses police state tactics. Do you want to know why they're going after the Hasidic and the the ultra-Orthodox Jews? Do you want to know why, really? Because they support Trump. That's why they're going after them. And they're a minority within a minority. So nobody seems to give a damn except me. I want to raise another issue. The slaughter of the Armenians. Backed by Erdogan in Turkey. That's a madman. A genocidal maniac. Whether it's the Kurds. The Armenians. The Jews. You name it. Erdogan, Erdogan, whoever the hell. Fact is, he's a mass killer. And there needs to be more people speaking out on behalf of the Armenians. Again, a very small minority within the United States. That gets almost no attention in this, <coughs> excuse me, in this country as well. It's terrible. And people need to speak out about what's going on here. Because it is a horrible, horrible thing. All right, let's see here. Let me uh, hit my refresh button. Let us go to Harriet, Newport, Florida, XM Satellite. How are you, Harriet? Hey, Mark, I'm fine. Go right ahead. I am very excited about uh, Amy Barrett getting appointed. Um, but Listen I to you. To talk about, I want to yeah. I'm just so excited to talk to you. I hear you all the time. And I've been to your university. I'm a conservative. It is an emotional night, so I've been trying to catch my breath. I wanted to talk about... I only have about 30 seconds. Go ahead. The metaphor about turning the corner, if we use the World Series in baseball, I would say President Trump gave us a hit and got us on first base by closing travel. He got us to second base 
by ramping up, making ventilators and getting swabs. And now, and now we need to get a grand slam. I apologize to you, my friend. I have got to go. I'm sorry. What a lovely lady. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. We want to salute you, Mr. President. A magnificent choice for the Supreme Court. And I want to salute, salute the Republicans in the Senate, minus one. Collins. See you tomorrow. God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.